Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I, as always on a Thursday, we talk NXT and AEW Dynamite. When it comes to NXT, you have to look at that main event and that ladder match between Mia Yim and Io Shirai. Who's going to get the advantage in the War Games takeover? Then we talk AEW and what I thought was the best segment of the night, the promo with MJF and Chris Jericho. And the best thing, I think even over Chris Jericho, how MJF is becoming the biggest heel in AEW. Then a must-listen interview with the legendary Arn Anderson. We talk about what he's doing with AEW, what he's doing with the Arn show with Conrad Thompson, and also, how about this? Some of the wrestlers he thought were a miss when it came to the WWE. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Knox, Yim, Baszler, Shirai, Belair, Kaylee Ree. I mean, Kayla Kayla Ray. Ray, 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 Ray. I can't do it like, I can't do it like Moro can. Moro can go on for 10 minutes without taking a breath. I don't know how he does it. Holy bleep. (laughs) Mama effing mega. He even censors himself. That's how talented he is. He can, the man can censor himself. I, 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 listen, I've said this before, and this, I'm not trying to take anything away from, uh, you know, from Nigel and from... Uh, from um, Beth Phoenix. Beth. She's only a Hall of Famer. No, I, I said Beth. Um, I, I'd almost like to see Morrow call the show by himself at times. I, it's, it's funny. I, you, need, you need those other person. You know, you need that other person. Joey Styles never needed anybody. It's a good and, point. I, and I don't think... And, and I don't think Morrow does. I, listen, I have Beth and Nigel do a really good job. But to hear Morrow call something by himself would be very, very uh, fun. I mean, all you got to do is go to YouTube and they have those isolated Morrow calls where they, kind of, they, they take Nigel out of it and you just hear Morrow. I mean, again, I've said this. They, they, I've played that for people who aren't wrestling fans. and are like, oh, my God, that commentator is amazing. Imagine getting that. Imagine getting Morrow calling a football game. He might actually his, get through the three hours. His excitement is infectious. It really, really is. And you know what? It's not even just about the excitement. It's not just about the phrases he says. 
perfect example is in that main event from last night in that ladder match. He explains it too. He kept repeating like what was going on, what the goal was, and that's the advantage in the War Games match. He reminded you of that. He told the story of the match. So he's not just yelling and screaming and throwing out one-liners. He's actually explaining what's going on in the ring and, again, reminding you, hey, this is, you know, no disqualification. This is for an advantage in a War Games match. And he builds the story. So, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? He builds the anticipation for the climax of that match. That's a sign of a true, amazing Hall of Fame commentator, which one day he'll be in. Without a doubt, there'll be a ring on that finger, and Morrow understands the uh, importance of the climax. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? All right, Bully, but again, let's look at that ladder match. You said about that ladder match, psychology. A lot of times in ladder matches, we don't get the psychology. A lot of time in ladder matches, they're not using the ladder in order to get the briefcase. They're using that ladder as a weapon, which you could at times, but let's face it, you have to have that sense of urgency of getting the win, and you got that in a match, and you still got you know, the blood and guts and the spots that make a ladder match exciting. Absolutely. Uh, and for all those, totally agree with you. The, the violence is a byproduct of the psychology. And when that happens, it makes for a great match. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me t- I got to put over me a year for one second uh, from a, on a professional level. What did you think about that crash and burn spot at the end when she fell off the ladder and crashed through the ladder? I mean, I, the first thing I, uh, I was thinking is what happened because the camera angle was horrific because you didn't actually see it. You saw her fall, but you didn't see what she fell into. Okay. Um, but uh, seeing it on the replay, it, it was nasty. It was, it was harsh. Um, Mia did a phenomenal job of taking that bump in a textbook way. Picture perfect. The body's natural instinct will always be to to defend itself. And what you see a lot of guys and gals do is when they're taking bumps like that, that are in basically in slow motion and speed up at the end, they'll put their foot down, they'll put their hand down. The body will try to protect itself from you know, getting injured. In wrestling, you have to teach yourself to let your body go. And Mia did just that. When that ladder got tipped over, she stayed within herself. She told herself, don't react the way you normally would react. Just go with it. And in going with it, she took the bump perfectly. And she took the bump safely. She went through that ladder exactly the way it should be done should have been done she did it as if she had been working for 20 plus years she took it like a veteran would take the bump she took it like she knew what the hell she was doing yeah she she really did and i'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of people who are watching that might think it's second nature for a wrestler to take that kind of bump but you're absolutely right your first instinct for your body is to defend itself and be able to take that drop which was a pretty big drop onto that ladder that was a hell of a visual and again shows you how great Mia Yim is becoming I re- like I said really enjoyed the match incredible effort from both ladies when we got to the end I mean you know I know Mia get, got busted open 
Dave, tell me if you agree or if you disagree with this. I hate it when I see all the referees running to the ring and the metal, medical staff running to the ring and, and tending to wrestlers. Like, I get it. We're in this safety age and everything like that. <clears throat> she got busted open. It happens. It comes with the territory. It almost feels like they're doing this match with a safety net. It almost feels like <clears throat> they have their camp counselors or they have, uh, you know, th- th- their little, um, I don't know, li- like chaperones at ringside. It's not like she got, you know, she, she got busted open from a ladder. It's going to happen. But in the it world of the WWE, it hardly happens, though, bully. That's the thing. That's what I think made this, you know, I know sometimes I get obsessed with blood and, you know, it's from the matches that we watched when we were younger, but you hardly see that in the WWE. So when it happens, I think it shows that, that this is a major big deal because you don't see it normally each and every week. I agree that it's a big deal. I don't know why we need six people tending to her. But that's a bit much. It's a, it's a wrestling match. Let it go. She'll get up. She'll be fine. Let them work through it. We, need, we had referees coming in the ring, whispering and blah, 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 and medical staff, and is she okay? Yeah, she was okay. She was fine. She got back up and she continued the match. Leave it alone. Let them only ring the bell if something really, really bad goes wrong. Nothing bad happened. She took a shot to the face with the ladder. She got busted open. Red equals green. Let them go. The girl's a warrior. Obviously, she sprung back up and finished that match. She took a German suplex. She took the bump off the ladder. Give it time to breathe. Let Let her stay there and sell. Keep your eye on her. See if she's moving or not. But I th- they jumped right on it. But I think that's but I think that's the point, bully, is that they don't want to let her sit there and sell that blood because they don't want blood on TV. They have the doctor run right over to stop the bleeding and get that off of television. I think that's the point that the WWE is trying to make. That is totally fine. I'm just saying I'm not in agreement with it. I would just rather let it see it play out. Nothing horrible happened to me Yim last night. She got busted open. It happens. It, it can happen in that match at any given moment. It's not like she was knocked out. It's not like she wasn't moving. For Christ's sake, the, mi- the minute she got popped in the face, what was the first thing she did, Dave? What? She moved her hair out of her face so the camera could get a shot of the blood. Not bad. Yeah, Exactly. That's what they should be paying attention to. The fact that the girl had the wherewithal to get popped in the face and then she took her hand and moved her hair out of her face so they could get the blood. I bet you in that moment right there, even though Mia Yim got popped and she was like, whoa, what the hell was that? She was probably like, yes, I'm bleeding. Let me give them the shot. And then all of a sudden, here comes all the medical staff. Say, Are you okay? Are you okay? Is that, should we keep going? What should we do? Leave it alone. Maybe they're thinking she wasn't okay. I understand that, Dave. I, I'm, I'm talking right now as an old school guy who has not only been through it, has seen a hundred other guys go through it. Jump on the situation if it really, really um, calls for it. I did not think it called for it. You could have kept both girls down on the cell. Io went to go sell her arm. She was taking her time. They would have got through it. The holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. 
With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders or decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. I got my Dave LaGreca guy and Dave LaGreca girl shirts, and I have to get them out before the holidays. How am I going to do it? I'm going to do it with ShipStation. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same posted discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is number one in the choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BUSTED to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BUSTED. That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BUSTED. ShipStation, make ship happen. I got to get on my soapbox just a little bit and praise MJF. And MJF has been a, a guest on this show multiple times. And when he comes in here, he, he dresses me down. He makes fun of me, points out my shortcomings, which there are many. And it makes me hate him more and more. I love to hate MJF. Like, MJF, Bully, is not somebody that I would want to go to a website and buy a t-shirt for. It's just the opposite. I'd probably take the MJF t-shirt and burn it because I hate MJF. I hate him. Every time I see him on my TV, I want to throw something at it. I want to see MJF get his ass kicked. MJF interrupted an awesome championship match on Saturday. That pissed me off. And you're so right what you said earlier. MJF is in the ring with Chris Jericho. The first half of that promo that we heard last night, the camera is on MJF, and Chris Jericho is off to, to the side, you know, by one of the turnbuckles. And during that promo, I completely forgot that Chris Jericho was in the ring. I was completely fixated on everything MJF had to say about Cody Rhodes. And listening to MJF, was there some truth behind what MJF was saying? Yeah. As you always say, Bully, you like a little reality. You like a lot of realism in your wrestling. You're getting that from MJF. But he presents it in such a egotistical, conceited way that you don't feel bad for the guy. He's not egotistical. He's not conceited. He's a dick. He's an asshole. Like, you know what? Dick and asshole 
are two of the best things that, honest to God, the pe- the two best words that I can use to describe MJF is dick and asshole. If somebody says, why do you hate MJF so much? Because he's a dick. Really? Is there anything else? Yeah, he's an asshole. I think That's those music. are the two best music. ways. Music to a heel's ears. Yes. And in a and in a in a age bully, in an age when being the the bad guy is cool, where in an age when being a guy, a bad guy gets you cheered and chance, in an age when being a bad guy makes you want to buy the guy's merchandise and buy the t-shirt, MJF does exactly the opposite. You'll never see me with an MJF sign or an MJF t-shirt on my back or chanting his name because I fucking hate the guy. I mean, and to be able to do that in 2019 is almost a miracle in this day and age. Well, let me back you up for a second. Do you love to hate MJF or do you hate him? I hate him. Good. Don't ever say love to hate anymore. Because love to hate denotes that you like his heel work. As a heel, you should want to be so hated that people forget that this is sports entertainment. You want them to suspend all disbelief and go, this guy is a piece of shit. I despise him. I don't want to buy his T-shirt. I hope he gets his ass kicked. And if I see his rental car in the back, I'm going to slash his tires and throw a brick through his window. The word love should never be associated with MJF. It is hatred. It is pure hatred. The best thing about MJF right now, we could sit here and we can blow up, blow smoke up this kid's ass for the rest of the show about what he said, what he did, blah, blah, blah. The thing that gets me about him is his conviction. The way he says what he says, he believes in his own BS. Mm -hmm. And if he believes it, then I believe it. Never once last night did I say to myself, well, MJF is is uh, speaking words that were written down on a piece of paper. I don't even think MJF wrote his own words on a piece of paper. Even if you told me, oh, well, he wrote his own promo. But the hell he did. He knew what he wanted to say, and then he just went out there and said it. Never once did you feel a weird pause or uh, see him thinking about what he was going to say next. He looked into that camera and everything he said, his tone, his inflection, his eye contact was with conviction. Somebody told me on social media that one of my takes on MJF was bad because MJF is not a badass. MJF last night came off as a guy who believed in himself. And despite the fact that I wear a Burberry scarf and, and, and nice clothing and blah, 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 I can still kick your ass. I can kick your ass on the mic and I can kick your ha- ass with my fists. It's conviction. I believed in this kid. And believing in what he said made me want to hate him. Bully, when he talks, I want to slap that grin off of his face. And you don't care who does it, right? Nope. 
He's getting other people over by being so hated. And this is such a lost art form. There are few left. MJF might be the last Sith in the wrestling business. I think you might be right. It's because no matter what he says, you want to see him get shut up so bad that no matter who comes through that curtain, you will pop for. Because you're just so happy to see anybody beat him up. And, you know, if you asked me two weeks ago, hey, Dave, throw out like two of the best heels out there right now. I would say MJF and I would say Baron Corbin. But this is the difference between the two. Baron Corbin on SmackDown or was it it was SmackDown or I think it was it was it was SmackDown last Friday. I loved what he was saying about Roman Reigns. It was a good promo. But then he went to the big board and had the little cartoon of the dog of Roman Reigns and he goes, "You know what? Roman Reigns is more like a chihuahua." Than the big dog. And they had the cartoon like barking, like the chihuahua bark. You lost me there. I'm so, I love Baron Corbin, but pal, during that promo on Friday on SmackDown, you lost me. MJF made me forget about Chris Jericho. Do you know how impossible that is to do? I forgot last night that Chris Jericho was even in the ring. And I'll even take it a step farther. At the end of his promo, and this is something I hate. You know, Braun Strowman, like, get these hands, the tagline. I hate when you have to feel like you're forcing in the tagline. MJF gave his tagline at the end of the promo, and I still bought in because it worked in what he was saying in the rest of the promo because he truly believes it. His tagline is, I'm better than you, and you know it. And the way he said it, where he didn't change his tone of voice, he didn't stop and then say it. The way he said it, it makes me believe that he truly believes every word that's coming out of his mouth. To the point, bully, I truly believe he does believe everything that's coming out of his mouth. I actually think the guy is a dick and an asshole. How about... When him and Jericho were now face-to-face on the microphone. Did you ever once think for even a fleeting second that MJF did not belong in that ring with Chris Jericho? Not for one second. Did he miss a beat with Chris Jericho? Nope. Did he look beneath Chris Jericho? Nope. Did he look like a young boy? Nope. No deer in headlights on MJF last night. He hung with Chris Line for line, moment for moment, sentence for sentence, word for word. That's a 30-year veteran. Chris knows what he's doing. Chris, the confidence level in Chris Jericho knowing, I can press the gas pedal with this kid. I don't have to lay off the gas pedal with this kid because sometimes you're in the ring with younger guys where you hit the gas too hard and they can't catch up. You got to let your foot off the gas. Some guys, you got to pump the brakes just so they can catch up. That face-to-face was so good. Everything about MJF's promo by himself, everything about the interaction with Chris, everything up until the moment they said Cody Rhodes' name 
and hugged was phenomenal. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music, plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. He's the legend. He's the enforcer. And to me, he's still the nephew of Ole Anderson, and that is the legendary Arn Anderson, who you now can hear with Conrad Thompson on the Arn podcast. And let's bring him in, bully, Mr. Arn Anderson. How are you, sir? Now, you're sure I'm not a nephew or a brother or a cousin? Well, I mean, I've heard all three. So I somehow you're related to Ole Anderson. And you know what? There's a lot to get into because you have the whole Daniel Tosh stuff, which is, you know, all the inquiring minds want to hear about and all the all the Internet is all in an uproar. And then, of course, everything that's going on with your podcast, Arn, and I know you and Bully have a relationship, and Bully has a ton of questions. But I do have, okay. to, I do have to ask you one question right off the bat. One of the True. one of the worst interviews or best interviews that have ever been on Busted Open was with Ole Anderson. We had him on for forty minutes. It was the most uncomfortable forty minutes of my life, where he just destroyed me. And I have to say, I am scared of Ole Anderson. So let me ask you: Should I fear somebody like Ole Anderson? And did you fear Ole Anderson? <laughs> I still fear Ole Anderson. It was probably a good call on your part. Even though he is in a wheelchair at this point in time, somehow I feel like he would be able to browbeat you into submission <laughs> to where you made the mistake of getting within arm's length, and then he would do something nasty to you. Well, at least I know I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified of the guy to this day, so don't feel bad. Arn, I'm terrified of you to this day. Stop. Is this Bully? It's Bully, Bubba, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> well, I usually called you sir, if you remember correctly. <laughs> well, thank Guys, you, Arn. your age, I always have to call sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Arn, how are you enjoying life post-WWE? I got a feeling you got a clue to that. It is absolutely glorious. It's been so long since I absolutely didn't have to do anything on any given day and just decide that day what I want to do. This is a new world to me. Arn, I got to work with you during the Attitude Era, and I got to also work with you uh, in 2015 and 2016, and I can – I could be honest in saying I felt like I was dealing with two completely different people. Um, in 2015, 2016, you, you came off to me like you might have been a bit more stressed out. Now, I know having to be my agent and producer will stress anybody out. But did it get 
more stressful as the years went on? Did it become more difficult? Did you feel as a producer at an agent there that you had handcuffs on entirely too much of the time? Absolutely. What you were what you were dealing with at that time, believe it or not, and it's probably taken the talent a while to absorb this and believe it and understand it. Uh, I was trying my best to protect everybody that I was working with from making the mistakes of going out there, having a great game plan, busting their ass, having a good match, doing one thing that was perceived a cardinal rule that you don't do, which as we know where the the cardinal rule list came from, and then have the whole thing go south and not be able to fix it and just have wasted your time, basically. And that's what I was trying to prevent from happening a lot of the time. How difficult was it for you to just go from being there every day, working that tremendous schedule, and then really now doing what you're doing now? How difficult was that transition? It was a piece of cake. I'm not one of those guys that feels like, you know, trust me, I've been doing this for 37 years and without a break. That's got to be some kind of record, I would think. You know, on one hand, I've been very fortunate. I was never unemployed for any length of time. Uh, So I worked pretty much straight through. Uh, Some people, when they've had a schedule like that, and then that suddenly stops, my understanding is they feel like they should be somewhere or they need to be somewhere. There's some sense of loss. For me, it's just... Hey man, when you work when you work for that company, when you work for WWE, you are going to travel the world countless times during the course of a year, and the travel that's involved in in rental cars and and flying just around this country and being at early meetings and being the last one there and having a three hundred and fifty mile drive between shows. You total that up in a year's time, and then you do that times 18 years straight. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of stress. Arn, a lot of travel, a lot of stress. Just recently, we see you turn up in AEW, uh, hitting the world-famous Spine Buster. We saw you as a judge the other night. How much of a breath of fresh air has AEW been for you, both personally and professionally? Well, it's it's like the old days in the in this this fact alone. Everything is not overproduced. Everything is not talked about twenty five times during the day. Um my experience is they've trusted me with the minor roles that I've had to just be a professional. We had one conversation about it about it and that was the end of it. And uh Tony Khan and uh the staff that he's put together, Cody and, and all of his crew and the Bucks and all of these guys, Kenny Omega, you know, Chris Jericho, all the leadership that's within that company, they're allowing these guys to be creative and they're, they're going to allow them to make some mistakes. They're going to allow them to go out there and do 
what they do. And uh, that's kind of refreshing. He has made it a very calm, he being Tony Khan, a very relaxed, fun-loving business again. And I feel like, and I don't know how how uh, Bully feels about this, but it feels like to me the last 18 years or so, the business has been in a vacuum and it's been focused one way. It feels like now it's like someone opened the doors, the front doors, the back doors, the side windows, and it's allowed the wrestling business to grow, expand, new companies open up, young guys have uh, opportunities they didn't have even a year ago. And uh, I, for one, am tickled to death to see it. And uh just proud that uh, I felt like the Khan family got this ball rolling, so we owe them a, a debt of gratitude. It's definitely working. Are you surprised about how successful it's been so early? No. People are clamoring for something new and different, and it's not going to continue to just build and build and snowball. And, you know, you're not going to have 20,000 people every night at every show. Um I feel like that there. I know that there were a lot of faces, and I would say ninety percent of the talent that they have on their roster, I had never seen or heard it from. But again, I've been living in that vacuum for eighteen years. So, uh, but from the independent scene, you know, they've collected this this roster of people that are new and fresh, and if for no other reason, if they go out there and give you a solid performance and you've never seen them before, that alone is just new and fresh. Arn, as you just stated, you've been around for 37 years and you can probably see a problem or a concern immediately, whether that's with a a promo, with a match, anything that's going on with, with a show. When you, when you sit back and you, and you look over AEW for the first couple of months that you've been associated with them, what would you say the number one concern is for you, for them right now? What's the, what's the biggest pitfall or hurdle that they have to be careful about? Um, it's one that I think is pretty much throughout the business. They're going to have to be careful. They're doing a lot of dangerous stuff uh, a lot of a lot of big dives and stuff off the top and you name it it's uh it's things that have a risk versus reward quotient of uh being very very dangerous and you know you you see a lot of guys in today's business taking a lot of uh taking a lot of chances because everybody wants to be the guy that push the envelope a little further and a little higher and a little longer. I just would caution everybody to just understand that, that the audience deserves the best you have, but we determine the content of what is put into a match. So I would just suggest to these guys, just be careful. You know, Arn- be, select- be selective. Arn, is it okay? By the way, is it okay for me to call you Arn? I almost feel like I should call you Mr. Anderson. So, is Arn okay? I've been, I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> sir. 
All right. So as as my producer mentioned, we had you on quickly before you went into the Hall of Fame with the Four Horsemen before WrestleMania 28. But for the, the over 10 years that this show has been on the air here at Sirius XM, we've never had you on. And there's a reason for it. You haven't done any media really at all because of uh, you being a part of the WWE. Now you're gone. And now you're doing the podcast with Conrad Thompson that drops every Tuesday you know, the, the orange show, what's that like for you now to, you know, to have that freedom that you do a weekly podcast and talking about the world of pro wrestling and talking about your career, but also talking about the events that have happened over the last 20, 25 years. Well, I had never been on a podcast and, um, certainly never hosted one. So it was all new gray area for me. Um, and the reason that I didn't, you know, I didn't do a lot of media interviews and all that stuff because you got to be able to, for the most part, say what you mean and uh, without any fear of being chastised by your employer or or uh, having to dial down what you really want to say. That doesn't feel good to me. I'm a guy that uh, usually speaks his mind, and uh, I try to have a filter on it because today's world you can't always say exactly what you want to say um but it, it uh to be able to go back and relive a lot of the stories and so far some of the things that we brought up really go way back to the old days it kind of refreshed my memory conrad's research team you know had a lot of content of stuff that that i went god i remember that now that i hadn't thought about in 25 years good times a lot of exciting times so it's good it seems like the audience uh, of the podcast likes to hear those stories and we want to give them what they want to hear and uh the q a session which we're going to do every other week seems to be very popular and they can ask anything they want and i'll do my very best to answer to the best of my knowledge Arn, there were certain producers in the wwe that were synonymous with certain talents Pat Patterson was synonymous with The Rock. Um, and for much of Cena's career, you were synonymous with him in helping him put his matches together or whatever else um, that John did that helped John achieve that level of success. I want to know who else that you worked with hand in hand and who you truly enjoyed working with 300 days a year. Um, you know, I, I always enjoyed working with Randy Orton because um, I thought Randy, number one, Randy's father, along with Dick Slater, are the two guys that when I was a young man that I saw on Georgia Championship Wrestling and went, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. So talented. Even back then, not even knowing what I was looking at, I would look at Bob Orton Jr. and go, God, that guy is so good. Um, so it made it uh, really cool for me to be working with his son, who I think has a lot of natural ability. He's a bit of a throwback. When Randy is cast in his best light, Randy is that nasty heel that we – love to hate and he is the longer you look at him slithering around out there the more he does look like a viper and just an evil person and randy 
is a guy that just uh, is a perfect fit for the business. He's a natural. Um, I enjoy working with guys that are hungry, and you know your your Curtis Axels, your uh, Heath Slater's, Bobby Roods, Dolph Ziegler's, guys that really bust their ass, Luke Harper, anybody that really wants you know the ascension. Names you haven't heard a whole lot, but but when you work with those guys, the limited times that that they are on TV, which is a crime within itself, but when you get guys like that and you see that they really want to go and give you the best match possible, the only crime they've committed is they haven't been on TV forever and they don't get a reaction. But what they give you bell to bell is the best they've got, and they give you some good quality matches. There's a lot of good talent within that company that never see the light of day, never make it on TV. Um, that's just some of, some of the guys off the top of my head. Is that, was that the most frustrating thing about your job is like seeing talent that you know could do well, but just not get the opportunity? Absolutely. Do you, do you guys, I'll just throw a name out there. I mean, do you guys not feel like a guy like Cesaro could be used better? Of course. But aren't a guy like Cesaro, who we know is an absolute technician in the ring, who only gets moved to the front of the burner when they absolutely need him, do you think his talents would be better utilized in NXT right now? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. NXT is becoming a uh, third... It's a third brand. It's not. It is no longer, nor has it been for, I would say, some time, just a feeder system to the main roster. It's become a third product. And uh, I think the Wednesday night things that that are going on right now has put a bigger spotlight on those guys. And that could possibly be a better vehicle for a guy to get over on that show. I mean, Arn, is there is there any way, and like you mentioned, some of the names like a Cesaro that should be doing much better than they are. Is there a way to get noticed if you, if you're not getting TV time? Like, how could a how could a talent get over if not being able to get the opportunity? God, that's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, you know, it's there. There's such a strict format and uh like when raw was written there there was a pretty much a a a set format that you kind of went by that show every week you'd open up with a long promo and make your main event and so forth and all that um but i always thought and voiced you got a three hours i mean three hours is a long time you got to be able to have a promo with some guy that you hope to get over that maybe we didn't have time this week for him to have a match. And if he was going to have one, it's only going to be three minutes and nobody gets over three minutes. Guys, let's don't fool ourselves. Takes longer than that to get to the ring and get back. Uh, maybe a backstage promo or just something character building, something off site 
Um, and it was suggested over the years, you know, if, if spend a few bucks, take a camera crew out offsite, do some stuff kind of like you do with our truth. And some of those guys over the years, gold dust, different stuff, stuff that's not occurring in the arena. You could take a Heath Slater, a guy like that, who's a funny guy and, and a goofball and, uh, but in a good way. And, uh, you can't tell me that with a little bit of fuel on the fire, you still wouldn't have people chanting, he's got kids, of all things to, mm. you know, that, that lit up for a second. And it did. There was a time when that was being chanted in, in the arenas. It just, you never know what's going to get over. Arn, I want to jump back over to AEW for one second. Um, the The comparisons with Cody to Dusty have been going on ever since AEW started. Uh, I don't want to talk about Cody and Dusty when it comes to in-ring. I want to talk outside of the ring. You working side-by-side with Dusty, knowing how Dusty operated, obviously having a long, illustrious career in and out of the ring with him. How much of Dusty do you see in Cody when it comes to everything that goes on outside of the wrestling ring? Uh, I can see the influence that if you've ever been around Dusty, Dusty, to me, and I always just treat people the way they treat me and I react to the way they've treated me, and that's how I feel about people. People condition you to feel about them the way that you do. And uh, Dusty was very charming. I think Dusty truly loved the business. Dusty was very creative. The main thing, when Dusty would be at work, you could tell, even though the guy was making a ton of money, had a ton of notoriety, had been around a long time, that he enjoyed and truly was the American dream every minute of every day. That's who he was. And I feel like that love of the business is what he transferred to Cody because I could tell right now Cody's walking those halls backstage and, and he is producing and he's top talent. He's wearing a lot of hats, but I can tell that for the first time, because I was with Cody for a lot of matches, a ton of matches when he was with Ted jr. And then with Randy, I had all those guys matches back in during that period. But for the first time, I think Cody is truly enjoying and loving the business the way that, a young guy should. And uh, he's receptive to ideas. He's receptive to to talking to whoever has a question. And you can just see that. And if I was a young guy in the business and that was going to be one of my bosses, man, would I be thrilled because it makes for a nice, pleasant work environment. You know, Arn, as we're doing this interview, and, and, you know, Bully, obviously a Hall of Famer, been there, done that. I'm just a fan of pro wrestling. And one of my earliest memories as a fan was you going up against Bob, Bob Armstrong. And the Armstrong family is one of the greatest families in the history of pro wrestling that's not really talked about. Um, was Bob Armstrong an uh, inspiration early on in your career? Did he help you along early on in your career? And as a fan, were you a fan of Bob Armstrong? All of the above. Uh, I was from Georgia. Bob was from Georgia. My first time seeing Bob was on Atlanta TV. Uh, 
Bob gave me my first break, which was for a three three month excuse me a three week period uh, after working with him on TV after I'd had about five matches. So he gave me my first three weeks of work, and then uh, got me booked for Bill Watts, which got me another five months of work. Then I went to a, back to Atlanta in a different position with Matt Bourne and Paul Ellering as our manager. That lasted about six months. Uh, there were some issues uh, with Matt getting fired. Now I suddenly found myself without a job again. I called Bob back, and I went down after having six or seven months of good Atlanta cable WTBS exposure, went back down to Pensacola, and I was there uh, 14, 15 months where I got all of my seasoning as far as doing promos, matches, you name it. And Bob was another guy that was just a pleasure to work with. it was just a wonderful environment. It's probably the greatest territory there has ever been as far as work environment. Awesome. What, Uh, uh, Georgia? No, no, Pensacola. Oh, okay. The the Pensacola territory, there was, just to give you a difference, when you worked for Bill Watts, you drove about 2,500 miles a week. Now, on, on lousy roads, that's not fun. For Pensacola Territory, about 800. We had it measured at about 850 miles a week. So that leaves for a lot of time of laying on the beach, my friend. (laughs) Soaking up the sun. Yeah, and that don't suck. Trust me. (laughs) Arn, one of the guys that we talk a lot about on this show was Baron Corbin. And I kind of compared Corbin to you in a way I remember watching you back in the day and you'd go out there every single week and you'd be putting everybody over and giving guys some of the best matches that they ever had and you could hear throughout the crowds every single week that despite the fact that you were doing the favor people were cheering for you little by little by little because they appreciated your work I'm starting to see the same thing in Baron Corbin where people, you know, he was a heel, but he's going out there. He's busting his ass. He's having great matches every single week. Did you work with Baron? Are you a fan of Baron? And can you see the comparison? Thank you for the comparison. I'm very flattered. Um, I saw the first time I saw Baron Corbin when they brought him up to the, um, main roster. I had asked a couple of times, you know, the the guys from NXT and stuff, you know, the producers that, that went down and I, who's the next who's the next guy down there that you see making it? And I would hear that name, Baron Corbin, you know, and they were right. He's a big guy. He played pro ball, which means you're a special athlete if you play pro football in my mind. You gotta have something extra. But he he caught on to this business, and uh, he was a big guy, but he didn't try to work like a monster, which those days are gone forever. You know, that not falling down thing is is not very entertaining, as we know, Bubba. Um, But the guy really does. He works his ass off, and the longer he's there, our audience is funny. You know, they start off watching you, and they take – who you are and what you present to them on face value. And if you're a prick, okay, they'll take you as a prick. If you single them out, uh, 
maybe last week they were laughing you were that you were singling a, a fan three rows back, you know, and it was funny then, but now you single them out, they'll turn on you on the dime, which is what you want. And uh, Barron is very unlikable, but he gives them action. And, and week after week, sometimes your performance goes unnoticed until suddenly one day they go, hey, wait a minute, I know this happened for me. It's like Bob Orton and Dick Slater are the ones that are making the, all the action. They're the ones that are creating all the excitement, not the other two guys. And the audience starts to see, hey, they're out here working their ass off for me every single week. And, yeah, they're getting beat all the time, but they're still coming out giving me my money's worth. And, and that's what the audience expects, and that's what they should get. Is it difficult to be a heel in 2019? Like, you know, like you said, the crowd can can turn at the a drop of a dime. You know, what they like, it's hard to – it's really hard to gauge. Is it difficult to do that in 2019? Not if you have the tools. Everybody hates when you take a liberty or somebody is being picked on because of whatever the reason. There were smaller – they were greener. They had less experience. It came from behind. All those things that went into making a heel. If we really wanted to concentrate on making heels, number one, you have to create people that they like. And this whole gray area thing that's been going on, I'm sorry, I'm a proponent. When I watch a movie, I want a black hat and I want a white hat. Everybody's gray. Everybody's got the gray hats on. How am I supposed to pick out who I like and who I don't like unless they do something unlikable or likable for that matter? And when you quit having heroes and you quit having dragons and dragon slayers, that's where everything for me starts to go south. When you think the proper thing for a talent to say that looks like Roman Reigns and is already battling the male audience because all their wives and girlfriends are sitting there mesmerized by this guy because he's so handsome. When you think suffering succotash is a brilliant move for him to say on a promo, <laughs> then you might have made a mistake that yep. day. And that's one of those things that they'll never forget. You remember it. Clear as a bell. If you heard it, right? I do. Yep. We. And it's went, still brought up. What got? Where? When? And what? Ultra universe or alternate universe would that guy have ever said that in the real world? Questions never. Yep. So it's it's on it's on all of us that are producing, at, you know, to create bad guys and good guys. And once you establish who you like and you don't like, it's a lot easier to move move those chess pieces around on the board in a positive way. But, Arn, in the world of the WWE, it seems like they don't want to create true bad guys anymore. Uh, the company's slogan, motto, mantra is we put smiles on people's faces it had to be frustrating for a guy like you who was such a successful heel throughout his career. Only see guys only be allowed to reach a certain level of heel success. Yes or no? Yes. 
hundred percent. Uh, all I could do was play the cards that were dealt me and, uh, try to do the best I can, you know, with that. You're right. When you have a PG product and you have limited, I guess, violence would be the proper word. Uh, they would probably say, oh, you can't say violence. That's not even a PG word. You have to say aggression, whatever the case may be. Um, but there's other ways to get heat on the guy. There's promos. There's there's doing stuff just to be doing it. There's picking on the guy that's uh, sweeping up back in catering. You got, a, you got a camera on the wall and you have some big superstar making all this money and big jacked up guy walking around. What does he do? He picks on the little guy that's sweeping up in catering. You, you know, there's all kind of little backstage things that you can shoot that you just happen to see where you go, well, Jesus Christ, what a prick, you know, he's picking on this little guy who's making minimum wage and is sweeping up back here. You understand? It's just little clips of stuff that you can do to make heels that nobody ever thinks about and nobody ever applies and nobody ever puts in the show because they think it's not exciting enough. Well, sometimes you gotta, you've got to um, sacrifice excitement for character building. And uh, if you, if you saw the A and W show a couple of weeks ago, there was a limo ride with Cody Rhodes and Tony Giovanni. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I had no knowledge of it. I wasn't there. I was watching it at home, just like everybody else. And it felt like to me when it was all done, even though there wasn't excitement and all kind of stuff, uh, I felt like two friends were making a limo ride and having a conversation and going to something important. And it felt totally real to me. And I think uh, the quarter hour, I don't know what it got. And there would have be so, a few people that would turn that off because it was an action. But to me, it was worth the sacrifice to make Cody Rhodes a little more likable and a little more understandable as a character. That was my take. And there's stuff like that you can do laying all over the place. Arn, I totally agree with you. And we spoke about that very specific limo ride on the show. I felt like I was in the limo with Cody and Tony. I felt like I was just sitting on the other side of them, listening to two friends talk. And the realism of that is what we need more of in wrestling today. And that's why I feel myself gravitating towards the AEW product, because it is as real as we've gotten in so long. And as a fan of the NWA in the mid-80s, as a guy that went through ECW in its heyday, and as a guy who also got to be in the Attitude Era, AEW feels like a nice mixture of all those territories and times right now. Agreed, 100%. And, you know, visit a show, brother. Take a walk around backstage. You will immediately feel, because you have felt the other tension and uh, stress and all the things that go with producing WWE, you will feel the relaxation of that mm-hmm. locker room and walking backstage and seeing all the crew guys taking a minute to yuck it up and get reacquainted and 
some of the old production guys that used to work for w, you know, WCW, you see them having a little sidebar, and they're all smiling, and everybody is relaxed. It's the way it's supposed to be. This business is the greatest way to make a living on earth, and I still feel that way. And it can be fun again, and it can be relaxing again. It's a lot easier to go through that curtain confident and happy about where you are and what you're doing, and you have one goal, and that's to go out there and give everybody that bought a ticket the time of their life that night. Forget about what anybody else does. Go out and give them their money's worth and then some. And, man, when you come back through that curtain, you don't have to ask anybody how it was. You know how it was. And uh, that's the beauty of this business, man. It is fun for everybody when things are going right. And I see things making a turn and being closer to being right than they have for a long time. Yeah, I think we feel the same way as well. Uh, Arn, you know, I mentioned the Armstrong family before, and I know you're close with the Armstrong family. I'm just curious, how old is Scott Armstrong? Can you be measured in light years? (laughs) He's older than Bob. Tremendous. Uh, all right. So this is obviously a hot topic going on. Didn't think I was going to ask about it, but they played the audio at the start of the interview. So I have to. This whole stuff with Daniel Tosh. I mean, I know he was not a fan of yours growing up, but I think he's kind of taken it a little bit too far. Well, that's something that over the years, it was so far down the pecking order. But I would hear, you know, I would run into people probably for, I mean, I think he's been on the air, what, 11 years or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it it wasn't, I don't know that it was every year, but for some reason the past six or seven years, it's like somebody would notoriously, and if it was a signing or an appearance or something like that, where there was a volume of people, there would be probably 10 people that day that would say, hey, do you know who Daniel Tosh is? Well, yeah, I know who he is. Well, what is the beef with you? What's the big deal? And I I didn't have an answer. I didn't know. You know, and it didn't concern me, uh, to be honest with you. You know, my 22-year-old son thought it was cool. Uh, But, you know, I guess something about me crawled up his uh, saddle and has got him sideways about it. And so I figured since... uh, I was no longer employed with any company that could say what I could do or what I couldn't do. I thought I would answer it last week. And apparently they were offended, him and his people. And so he thought he would uh, take it to another level and had a full-blown little skit on his show. Uh, So once again, I sorted through all of what I had going on, and I just decided – well, if he's going to spend that much time and effort to bash me, I think I'll send him a retort. And it wasn't screaming, and it wasn't hollering, and it wasn't anger. It was just kind of the way I conduct my business. It was matter of fact. And uh, we'll see what his response to that is next week, I think. But one thing he needs to consider, yeah, you know what? I am old, and I am not the man I used to be. 
but he is also a comedian, and that's all he is. And I'm more man than he'll ever be, put I, it to you that way. I love it. You can hear Arn Anderson with Conrad Thompson. The podcast is called The Arn Show. It drops every single Tuesday. But we got to get him on again because I still have to talk to Arn Anderson about the letter I wrote him in 1988 when he left the NWA to go to the WWF. But I digress. Mr. Anderson, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, guys, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.